Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 369 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today's story, like so many others covered on this podcast, is an act of extreme violence, which happened on a normal Sunday morning in a district of Cardiff where residents would typically say, nothing like this ever happens around here. You know the sort of place. Well, it's where you and where it's where I live too. As this is my last episode for Christmas, enjoy the coming days, but take it easy on the sherry and the Baileys, however challenging your relatives and stay classy out there. I write a blog every few weeks and released one a few days ago about the fairness or otherwise of awards in the podcast and true crime space. Look, Sartre it isn't. But if you get a moment, head over to uktruecrime.com, take a look and let me know what you think. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story with our guest a month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was Scouting for Girls, remember them? with This Is Not A Love Song. In the US, Rude Boy topped the charts from Rihanna. And in Australia, the top album was April Uprising from the John Butler Trio. The news this month saw Matt Smith's first appearance as the 11th Doctor Who, with Karen Gillan as his companion. Iron Man 2 premiered. Malcolm McLaren, the musician and manager of the Sex Pistol, died of cancer at just 64. And this month saw a cloud of volcanic ash from an eruption in Iceland, causing the closure of airspace over the UK and North and Western Europe. Remember that? Did your travel plans go down the pan when it happened? So what was the month and year? It was April 2010. Maybe next week. This week's episode is sponsored by Canva for Teams. Creating visual content is a vital part of what I do now as the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast in the UK, that is. But the creative process and design don't come easy to me, not at all. But as I now post regular videos and other pieces of content, it's more important than ever to be as good as it can possibly be. If it's not, I soon hear about it. And this is where Canva for Teams has transformed this part of my life, as with their templates and the way everything on Canva is just so straightforward and intuitive, it makes it super easy, even for me, to produce effective and consistent posts on brand. I particularly love Canva whiteboards. It's so easy to capture your team's best ideas with a ton of space to collaborate and brainstorm. So if you're producing content for your social channels, or maybe like I did, you've put it off, as it can all seem a bit daunting, you don't need to wait any longer. Try it now. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash truecrime. That's C-A-M-V-A dot M-E slash truecrime for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash truecrime. Today's story comes from the Welsh capital, Cardiff. 
Cardiff is the biggest city in Wales with a population of just over 360,000 and it's an amazing city. Although I do have a little bit of bias, having spent three amazing years here at university. Cardiff is about 150 miles west of London. Ninian Road in the Roth area of Cardiff is a really pleasant and leafy part of the city, with big houses and gardens and some very nice converted apartments too. On one side of the street is the popular Roth Recreation Ground and Pleasure Gardens. It's a really well used facility with a bowling green, tennis courts and football pitches. April the 11th 2010 was a beautiful spring Sunday. You know the sort when the sun is out for almost the first time and there's a real sense of the long winter finally being over and people are out and about enjoying the weather. On the other side of the road from the recreation ground set back from the street is a row of large townhouses with pretty gardens and living at number 110 was 68-year-old Iqbal Ahmed and his wife Parveen, who was 55 when we joined the story. They lived in the house for 18 years with their family, and they were well known in the community. Also in the house on this day was their 17-year-old son, Amir Siddiqui, who was revising for his upcoming A-levels. Amir was determined to have a legal career, and he worked super hard to get the academic results he needed. He'd already been accepted into Cardiff Law School, to continue studying law for his degree in September. He was a particularly gifted pupil and this had been identified when he was a very small boy especially because of his phenomenal memory as well as being hard-working and very strong academically. He was a keen sportsman playing football, cricket and American football to a decent level. Life was great for Amir and the future held so much promise for him. As well as revising on this Sunday, Amir was also due to have a Quran lesson later in the day from a local imam. And so when there was a knock at the door, Amir's mum assumed it was him. And as she looked out of the window, she saw the imam putting square cloth over his shoulder and she called her son asking him to open the door for him. But it wasn't him and it wasn't cloth. It was in fact two men pulling on balaclavas. The peace of the day was shattered when Amir opened the door to the two men as they attacked him with daggers, stabbing him multiple times. As they did so, they howled like animals, a terrifying noise to accompany the brutal violence. Amir's dad tried to intervene to help his son and grabbed the hands of one of the intruders and pinned him up against the wall. But the man was much stronger and fitter and Amir's dad had recently been through a knee replacement, so the man was able to throw him off, slashing him with a knife before fleeing the house. And Amir's mum too had tried to help her son. She jumped on the back of the other attacker as he pursued Amir into the dining room. But she too was thrown off and attacked as the two men made their escape in a silver Volvo car, which was later found to be stolen. After they left, there was that moment of silence often experienced after a dreadful attack has taken place. Parveen Ahmed couldn't believe what had just happened in her own home and she ran out crying for someone, anyone to help her. Two young girls saw her obvious distress and they ran towards a man who was walking on the road, Ian Nurse, and asked him to go and see what had happened. 
Ian raced to the front door to be greeted by a sobbing Parveen, who was so shocked she could barely speak and simply said, Help! and stab! Going into the house, he immediately saw Amir's legs in the hallway. His prone top half of his body was in the side room. And kneeling down, he could see that Amir was seriously injured as he desperately searched for a pulse. But there was none. The emergency services arrived at the scene and carried out CPR on Amir as they waited for the ambulance to take him to hospital. But Amir didn't regain consciousness and he died of the stab wounds inflicted during the attack. He was just 17 years old when he lost his life in his own home with his mum and dad present. A place that should be, of course, absolutely secure for all of us, a safe haven. By now the police have been called and just minutes later, DS Stuart Wales, a senior detective, arrived at the house. He later explained the scene he found. The net curtain of the window flung back and I didn't expect it to. I looked to the right and I saw the face of Amir's mum. She looked absolutely traumatised. It's still an image quite clear in my mind. And despite his extensive experience, DS Wales would later talk more about the terrible scene he stumbled upon that day, with Amir lying dead and both his parents also having been stabbed in the arms, chest and head as they desperately tried to help their son. I have 17 years of police service and there's no doubt about it. It was the most distressing incident I've ever had to attend. His sister Miriam later spoke about her recollections of that day, saying how it was a sunny Sunday when she last spoke to her brother. While she was on her way out to buy him lunch as a reward for his studying, she said, It was just a normal Siddiqui family morning. Everyone was happy, laughing and joking. But everything changed for Miriam when she got a phone call from her mum who was screaming and Mia had been attacked. He was dead. It flips you upside down. There's nothing else I can say to describe how that makes you feel, Miriam said. This wasn't even my worst nightmare. I couldn't ever imagine something like this happening. Meanwhile, at the scene, the police knew they would be under pressure to find the two men who had killed Amir in such a brutal fashion in his own home in the middle of the day. The local community wanted results and there was a real sense of fear around the city. At a press conference, detectives tried to reassure the local population that Cardiff does remain a safe city and that this was an isolated incident. However, detectives seemed genuinely puzzled about why Amir was killed, saying, We have no motives at this stage. Amir was an upstanding member of the community who was loved by his family and was well respected. It's clearly a hypothesis that he was mistakenly targeted. You have to keep an open mind. A £10,000 reward was put up for information leading to the conviction of the murderers. And as is often the way when such terrible violence has taken place, there were lots of rumours sweeping the city about just who was responsible for the attack. And then a few days later, a store, the TNA stores in Cardiff, was cordoned off for a number of days as forensic officers worked in the shop. Was this connected to the murder? The police weren't saying. But it absolutely was as the owner of this store Zayed Akbar had contacted the murder team detectives when his 70-year-old mum had recognised descriptions of the men reported in the local newspaper, the South Wales Echo. He said, 
I was reading an article in the paper and a description of these people was detailed in that. I read it out and my mum said it sounded like similar people who came into the shop. Zayed went through the CCTV to find the two men and told detectives how the potential suspects his mum had flagged had asked for tape and gloves before leaving off with only a packet of cigarettes. The two men were quickly identified as both were well known to the police in South Wales and just a few days later these two men were arrested. That was 38-year-old Jason Richards and 39-year-old Ben Hope. Detectives soon linked them to the crime when the killer's stolen Volvo car was found abandoned nearby. To say their grasp of forensics was limited is an understatement as Hope's fingerprints were found in the vehicle and traces of Amir's blood was found in the car's footwell as was Richards's DNA. It looked like detectives had quickly found the men who murdered Amir although the motive was still unclear. But why had the two killers been working together? How did these two men know each other? It transpired that Hope met Richards in prison and with both addicted to heroin, they continued a form of friendship once they'd been freed. As well as taking drugs often together, both worked as dealers in the local area. Hope sold up to a kilo of Class A drugs and thousands of Valium tablets every week. Richards had done so much drugs that the veins in his arms had collapsed and Hope injected the drug for him into other parts of the body that we don't wish to think about. Richards ran a car garage in Cardiff and had a number of convictions for violent offences and Ned, it's fair to say that old cliche, a chaotic lifestyle. He'd spent a considerable amount of time in prison. In 1996, Richards was sent to jail after he attacked an off-duty police officer and another man in Cardiff city centre causing major injuries including a fractured skull. In 2004 he faced a charge of actual bodily harm after attacking his own wife for which he was sent away for 18 months. And as for his partner in crime, Hope is one of the real low lives and low level criminals we unfortunately hear about so much on this podcast. After a string of minor crimes he was sent to prison for six years in 97 for a particularly nasty incident. He shouted racist abuse from his car at a couple walking along a Cardiff street before abducting them from the road, attacking them while they were in his car and then roaring off and crashing. In prison, the charm offensive continued when he broke the nose of a prison guard. And once he was out of jail, he got caught shoplifting and his reaction was to spray a noxious liquid in a security guard's face. He was later convicted of possessing an offensive weapon. I know they were heroin addicts, but they were really a couple of losers. And detectives were baffled with what the connection was with them and Amir and his family. And the shocking truth is there was no connection at all. Hope and Richards, high on heroin, and for a fee of just £1,000 each, carried out a contract killing on the wrong victim in the wrong house. It's hard to believe, isn't it? They'd been paid by a businessman, angry over a collapsed property deal, to kill a father of four children who lived in a street nearby. This Cardiff businessman who'd ordered the hit was Mohammed Ali Eggy. But Hope and Richards went instead to a similar-looking red brick 
end of row house just around the corner in Ninian Road where they killed the wrong man. It turns out that after the murder, Hope couldn't wait to spend his cash, but a master criminal he certainly wasn't. He bought new trainers at a Cardiff shop with money from an envelope full of cash, which of course immediately raised suspicion with the salesperson. Again, he drew attention to himself for his next purchase, a £700 laptop. This time he travelled by taxi out of town and asked the driver to wait for him in full view of the store. He also mumbled that his name was Mr Smith. Like I said, a master criminal he wasn't. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that people like this are hired by anyone for any crime, let alone contract killings. Sure, the price is cheap, but surely Ege could see the incompetence. And with his heroin habit, Hope was always short of money, and it was just days later that the new laptop had been pawned for an amount nowhere near what he'd paid for it. The two men faced trial for murder, where kind of predictably they both blamed each other, and of course a mysterious, untraceable third man for the killing. We've heard it all before, haven't we? The jury found both men guilty of murder, and neither men showed any emotion at the verdict or their life sentences, which stipulated they should both spend a minimum of 40 years in prison before being considered for parole, effectively meaning that both men will die in prison. The sentencing judge said that Amir was a bright, gentle and courteous boy who was much loved by his family, who had a future brimming with promise as a law student. Looking at Richards and Hope, he said, You two came in wearing balaclavas and making a terrible wailing sound. Your attack on him was brutal, savage, callous and cruel. You hacked him to death in front of his parents who fought in vain to save Amir. If you die in jail, few will shed a tear and many will say it will be more than deserved. The sentence was particularly long, said the judge, due to the aggravating features that made the case's seriousness exceptionally high, including the murder of a child, the murder of a child in front of his parents, the fact that a great deal of premeditation had gone into the killing and that both defendants had a long list of previous convictions for violence. Outside court, Amir's dad said, I think they've done something very sinister and they've been sentenced very heavily and that is what they deserve. We do not want revenge or to feel bad towards anybody but when someone has done something so bad they should be punished. I still feel his presence around me. I miss his big hugs. Life changed when the doorbell rang and he opened the door. It took seconds. We didn't even get the chance to wonder what had happened. So although Hope and Richards were safely inside prison, tracking down the man who hired them for the hit, Ege, wasn't so easy. He left France on a cross-channel ferry and wore a wig to disguise his shaved head. From France he went to Spain, Morocco, Senegal, Nepal and Bahrain before arriving in India, always remaining one step ahead of the authorities. He managed to obtain an Indian passport issued on February 18th, 2011, and other Indian documentation, which showed his date of birth as the 22nd of November 1978, in the name of Abdul Malik. His British passport showed his date of birth 
as October the 21st, 1977. But British detectives were not letting this go. They were on the case and they circulated a number of pictures of him to the police in India, including with a disguise. He was duly arrested in October 2011 and held in a prison in Hyderabad, awaiting extradition. He also faced four charges of fraud in India. As we know, extradition can take a long time with all the lawyers cashing in, and it wasn't until the 12th of April 2017 that he was finally taken from prison to court in Delhi. But when he was there, he went to the bathroom, and he managed to escape from custody by removing the window grills. And he disappeared into the ether and hasn't been seen since. In 2022, with Eggy still not found, his family released the following appeal for information. Twelve years have passed since our beloved Amir was cruelly murdered, but for us, his family, it seems like it happened yesterday. He would have been 30 years old this year. His childhood friends are now adults and some of their own children. For us, time has stood still. Amir was a 17-year-old boy on the cusp of adulthood and his life was cut short in the most vicious of ways. He played football with his friends in Roth Park, watched cricket in Sapphire Gardens, loved walking in Cardiff Bay and relished a variety of food in City Road. He was a boy from Cardiff and the city provokes wonderful memories of him but tempered with the reality that he has gone. The pain we feel after his murder cannot be adequately described. He was the kindest, most loving, funny and generous person who left behind family and friends who continue to mourn his loss. Compounding our grief is the fact we are still waiting for justice. As a family, we urge anyone who has any information that could help lead us to getting closure in the murder trial to please contact South Wales Police. But despite numerous appeals, as we stand today in December 2023, Egi is still on the run and yet to face a court of law for his part in the murder of Amir. Let's finish today by returning to Ninian Road in Cardiff. Just across from the home where Amir lived and died, a bench now stands in Roth Park where Amir spent many happy hours playing football with his friends. If you go there, it's such a peaceful spot. It's hard to believe that something quite so awful happened there. There is no hint at the tragedy that struck so suddenly on that terrible day. The inscription on the bench simply reads, In memory of Amir Siddiqui, June 1992 to April 2010. May God enter you in paradise. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's another sickening story, isn't it? A case that rocked Cardiff and is still spoken about there today. There can be no real closure for his family and friends until Eggy has faced a court of law. Losing any family member or friend to violence is awful. Any child impossible to take. But to suffer the death of your son in a case of mistaken identity is just impossible to comprehend. For me, it's hard to imagine how anyone could ever even begin to come to terms with the sheer unfairness of it all. As for the hit itself, well, 
It's so low level and chaotic. It would almost be like something out of a comedy film if the consequences were not so horrifically real. I guess there are always going to be low-level criminals desperate for the cash and those who will pay for their services. And able, seemingly, to see that a botched, unprofessional job always leads the trail back to those who hired the hit. But enough of them. As we finish today, our thoughts and love, as always, are with the friends and family of Amir and everyone else affected by this terrible tragedy. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. Why don't you take a look today? And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash truecrime for bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's EJ, Jackie, Zach Stanett, Timothy Dibbin, Patrick Rogers and Paul Dagnall. Thank you all so much. Your support is much, much, much appreciated. Of course, a gift of Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee is a fantastic Christmas gift. And if you're not supporting me at Patreon yet, please do join our community at patreon.com slash UK True Crime and help me continue to release free weekly content. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast for another week. Sorry about my sore throat. I've really not been very well. I hope it didn't spoil your enjoyment of this podcast. If you can, please do support my sponsor Canva and take a trial with them. It's really a good product and it keeps advertisers spending some money with independent podcasters like me. And also don't forget to take a look at my blog at uktruecrime.com. Like I said, it's not all well, but it's stuff that's on my mind and I keep it going regularly. So if you take a look, let me know what you think, write a comment. So until we speak in next week, Happy Christmas. Please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Sounded quite aggressive, didn't it? Cheerio for now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.